0: Because God is a personal God, and God works with each and every one of us in a personal way. And when we share those personal stories with one another, it's not just about getting people into a hot tub and making them feel uncomfortable or embarrass them or making them nervous, but it's about encouraging one another with what God is doing. Because sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes it feels like for some of us, God's not doing anything. And we're kind of just going through the motions. And I know I need constantly the reminder that God is at work, that God is alive. God is changing this world for his good and for his glory, even though it may not look like that when I watch the news. (laughs) Okay, That's why I so love these Sundays. Uh, One of the things that we do have coming up next Saturday is the Big Give. There's been a lot of information going out about that in the weekly update. And so that if you're not familiar with what the Big Give is, this is a movement that started here in the city of Ottawa and has gone national now, where on the first Saturday of June, churches from across our nation want to show the extravagant, generous love of Jesus to their communities. Again, if we were really honest, a lot of us churches have spent the last several decades huddled. Doing our own thing, keeping the world way over there, and the non-Christian world drives right past our buildings and don't even know we exist. That's not the call of Jesus. That's not the mission of the church, to huddle privately into our own building in a community doesn't even know we exist. And what the big give does is it helps to wake us up to the mission and the call, like, oh, yeah. I'm called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to love my community in a radical way. The same radical way that God showed his love for me when Jesus died for me. And so that's what the Big Give is all about. We are collecting bicycles and we're fixing those up this week. If you got a bike that no one's using at home, bring it to the church this week. We're going to fix it up and we're going to give those away to families who can use them and need them. We're going to have a whole bunch of fun things happening at Jasmine Crescent. So make sure you're getting the weekly update so you can get all of the updates about the Big Give. And I really hope that you will come and participate and just be a blessing in our community together as a church family. Excuse me. So as Paul said, we are starting a new sermon series today. And I've called this series um, Becoming Like Jesus. Now, and it's funny, so I'm I'm kind of an organized, well, no, I'm not. I was about to say I'm an organized guy. And, 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 yeah, and the people who know me laugh. Like, you know, the chair of our elders laughed the loudest. Because right? he knows that I'm not the organized guy. It's his wife, who is my executive assistant, who is organized. And I have become organized by default. So thank you, Elise. Okay, and and one of the things that I do uh, when it comes to this preaching ministry here as a church is is I, I I try to get away, whether it's just sitting in my backyard or just going to Petrie Island and just try to open up my Bible, just hear from God, and going God, what are you doing in our church? Like, where do you want to teach us? Where do you want to guide us? Where do you want to lead us? But then I also kind of remember, like some of you have been here longer than I've been here. And some of you, I'm always amazed that you remember, like, so many of the things I say. It's like, Pastor, you remember that time when you said that sermon eight years ago? I'm like, goodness, no. (laughs) I barely remember the sermon I said last week. Okay, because that's how sermons work. It's the Word of God goes out, people feed on it. And if it helps you grow spiritually, praise be to God. That's what this is for. This is like spiritual feeding that we do. And so because some people remember everything, I try to make sure I've gone through the whole Bible before I go back to another part of the Bible. Right? It kind of makes sense. So I picked that we're going to go through 1 John. And I was all excited about it because I've never done this before. And then I take out all my books off of my shelf from First John. And, and, and this is kind of a secret of pastors here that no one tells you. I like transparency. I like telling you all the pastor secrets. Right? We buy these commentaries to look smart. And we want to have a nice big library so when people show up in our office, they're like, ooh, look how smart and educated this guy is. Okay? It's part of the reason. We buy them because we know at some point we're going to use them. In order to dig deeper into the, into the Bible. And so I dig. I pull out all my first John books. And they're already highlighted and underscored and notes in the margin. And I'm like, but I've never read these. And it's my handwriting. And then so then Elise does what Elise does. And she goes through all my stuff. So, Kevin, you preached through this series nine years ago. Now, here's the thing. So I was, like, I was like, I kind of had a little bit of a panic attack going, I need to change. I need to do something else. No. This came to me yesterday. Danielle and I, we're we're going through this, as I've shared, kind of this renew, refocus, uh, relaunch in our own life when it comes to our spiritual well-being. And we were away yesterday, and the guy who was leading it said these words, and, and it just struck me when he said it. You are in a war. I want you to think for a moment of the news that you are watching of this world that we are living right now. We have been living under the news of war, the threat of escalating war, for well over a year now. Now imagine you live in one of those countries that is in war and experiencing the escalation of war. What do you think their family life is like? How many hours a week are they watching Netflix? How often are they kind of online trying to find the best vacation? Where are they kind of arguing on whose rights trumps whose rights? All of that stuff is out the window because they are in war. And yesterday I was reminded that my life is in a war. This church is in a war. You have been born into a war zone. And here's the crazy thing about this war is whoever wins this war are going to get an amazing prize. And do you know what the prize is? You have no clue. You. You are the prize. That this war is raging over. That there is a spiritual war between the creator of the heaven and the earth and one of his prideful, arrogant fallen angels who wanted the worship for himself. And that spiritual enemy of God is doing everything in his power to take you away from God. You are the most precious thing in the sight of God. There is this battle happening for you, for your soul, for your family, for your eternity. And most of us live like it doesn't even exist. Like it doesn't matter. And so that's where my heart wants to bring us as we look at this letter that the Apostle John wrote to the early church. And I want us to be able to see how crucially important it is for the church to become more and more like Jesus. Like, why do we do this? Like, why do we gather? Why do we sing songs? Why do we do baptisms? Why do you listen to me for three and a half hours in my sermon? Just kidding. Guess. It's not that long. Okay. (laughs) It's close. Feels that way for some people sometimes. But um, why do we do this? We're doing this because we believe in what the Bible teaches us. That we gather together to lift up the name of Jesus, to come into the presence of God in corporate worship, to hear from his word so that we can grow, so that we can be changed, so that we can become more like Jesus. The Bible doesn't teach us that we need to become like a certain political party. The Bible doesn't believe like we need to become like a certain ideology. The Bible doesn't believe we need to be, you know, kind of have this teaching of the world and accept the teaching of the world. And we need to compromise so that we can be accepted by the world. The Bible says we need to become like Jesus. And that is my biggest desire for you and for your family. Now, here's the beauty of this. It doesn't mean we're all going to look the same. It doesn't mean we're all going to talk the same and behave the same because the spirit of God working in each of us individually We all receive different gifts and talents and abilities and passions, but they are aligned with the heart of Jesus. So that's a little bit of an introduction of what I want us to do. And I want to start today in this topic of becoming like Jesus by jumping in and reading the first chapter of 1 John. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you want to follow along in a Bible, uh, we've got some, I think some in the chair, there's some in the back. If you're here today and you do not own a Bible, I'd love to give you one as a gift. Please make sure you grab one of those before you leave. That's our free gift to you. I'm a believer that every family should own a Bible in their home. And um, you can, if you don't know where First John is, literally go right to the very back of your Bible and then just start flipping to the left. And then you're going to find John's letters. Very, very small, just a couple of pages long. But here is John's heart to the church and what he has to say to the church to encourage them in this war that they are in, this spiritual war between God and God and Lucifer. Okay, so I'm going to read from 1 John, and if you want to follow along, please do so. And this, I'm reading from the new, um, the NIV, New International Version here today. If some people have different translations, and you wonder why the words are a little bit different. That's why sometimes the translations just vary slightly. So here it says, so here John writes, says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He proclaimed to you what we have seen and, sorry, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make our joy complete. So, so <laughs> Paul's using, sorry, not Paul, John's using kind of we language here, you know, and this is kind of like, again, in this culture that we live in today, like what are John's pronouns and is he, is he identifying as we? No, he's um, talking about the apostles. Like he's writing on behalf of the we, this collective apostles, that they are direct witnesses to Jesus. See, this is one of the things that we have to be reminded of, I think, in the culture that we find ourselves in, where there's kind of this movement, not just to disprove the teachings of the Bible, but to disprove that Jesus even was real. Because if you can prove that Jesus was real, we're all going to go find something else to do on Sunday morning, right? Right? we have to be reminded that there are witnesses to this. There are witnesses who have seen Jesus. They have seen the miracles. They have seen the death on the cross. And they have seen the resurrection. They've been with him afterwards. They have seen him return to heaven when he ascended and returned to the throne of heaven. There are witnesses alive. And Christianity is incredibly easy to debunk when you go, "Well, they did this for the money and the power and the women and the prestige." <laughs> That's not why you became a Christian back in these days, because the "we" here all died for their faith. Now, I don't know about you. There's a few things I'll die for. I'll die for my wife. I'll die for Jesus. I'll die for my kids. One or two of you, maybe I'll die for. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to hear about that one on Monday. Okay. <laughs> but I could tell you one thing. I'm not dying for one of my lies. No way. <laughs> no how. And in my 52 years of life, I have lied. <laughs> and I'm not dying for a single one of those. And all of these men did. So just want to set that up. These are the people that are writing to the church. And this is what he writes about. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him. This is the message that they've heard from Jesus and declare it to you, the church. It says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. This is the war between light and dark. If we claim to have fellowship with him, but yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live out the truth. It continues in chapter 2. It says, my dear children, he's writing as a spiritual father. He's writing as a pastor to the church. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, uh, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. (laughs) Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, does this mean we're all selling our houses, getting a robe, getting some sandals, and picking up and moving to the Middle East? No, thank you. (laughs) No, but it is the heart and the mission of Jesus that has to be evident in the life and mission of every single follower of Jesus. And that's what I want us to unpack is this introduction here. See, this letter, again, was written by the Apostle John. And if, again, if you're not familiar with who John is, John is the same disciple who wrote the bigger letter in your Bible that's called John. John wrote the book of John, so the gospel of John. He wrote three letters that we have to the church, one, two, and three, John. He's also the last surviving apostle. He's the apostle who gets arrested for for his faith. He gets sent off to a prison island, and God gives him the vision of revelation. He writes the last book in the New Testament. So John kind of sounds like, wow, he's kind of like this really big deal, right? Well, John's also known as, if you think he's a big deal just for writing this, he's also known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, who'd love that title? Wouldn't you like that to be on your tombstone? Here's Kevin, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That'd be awesome on my tombstone. Okay, to be known for that, right? That's his title that he has here. He's also the same John that when Jesus is dying on the cross, Jesus looks to John and looks to his mother, Mary, and he says, woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. And he's doing something incredibly profound here that I don't think culturally we understand anymore. Because back in this culture, a single, a a, a widowed woman with no oldest son is in trouble. And anyone could just show up and take from her whatever they want. And Jesus' dying thoughts is for this woman saying no one's going to take advantage of this woman. Son, I've rechanged the relationship here. You have an older son now, okay? That's who John is. And John has a heart for Jesus. He has a heart for the church. He wants to see the church thrive. And so we believe this letter was written um, before Rome showed up into Jerusalem, Rome showed up in Jerusalem around 70 AD and completely destroyed the Jewish way of life by destroying the temple, the sacrifices, the worship of the Jewish people in their temple, right? And so John writes this, and he wants you to walk and live as Jesus did. See, there's a lot of things that John could write to us about, He could write to us about some of Jesus' miracles, and he does that. He could write to us about some of the visions that God has shown him, and he does that. But why does he write these things? Just so that we can puff up our heads with knowledge, so we can show off how smart we are, so we can win Bible quizzing and get big trophies and get master's degrees and all of this stuff. He wants this to change our lives so that we will look different than the rest of the world because you will live as Jesus did. And what's happening in John's day, honestly, isn't really all that different than what is happening in our day. And the reason why it's not very different is because humanity has not evolved in any way whatsoever in 2,000 years. Our toys are nicer. We live a little bit longer because of the medical science. But our heart has not changed. And our heart is still pulled between two kingdoms the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And as we're going to see, as we continue going through this letter, um, there's no gray kingdom. You are part of one or the other. Now, that's not to bash or to belittle anyone who doesn't believe like we believe. And that's totally, you know, I get where you're at because I've been there. But this is what it says. There's no gray. It's our heart is either pulled to the kingdom of light or it's pulled to the kingdom of darkness and in john 's day, there were a lot of people who didn't like that message it's like no John, like you know we can't really we can't really say that Jesus is the only way to God because that's going to like offend some people or we can 't really say that Jesus is fully God because you know like we like, we have all these other religions here that believe that the gods were like kind of these big huge things, and Jesus is just kind of like this poor guy from Nazareth doesn't kind of have the hype of all the Romans and Greek gods. So you can't really say he's God because that's just not going to sell. We're not going to get a lot of ticket sales from that. Okay, And there's like false teaching after false teaching after false teaching that is creeping its way into the church. And John writes to say, don't listen to it. You see, just like in my life, I I know how our lives work. None of you will believe a lie that is obviously a lie, right? Like how many of you right now, if I just kind of looked through right now in the eye and said, you know what, for $100,000, I can get you into heaven. How many of you would sign up for that? Raise your hand. One. Thank you. I'll see you after church. (laughs) Make parents very nervous. Okay. (laughs) None of us would buy that. Right? Today. But guess what? We have hundreds and hundreds of years of people who bought that. You just buy this and you just give me this or you just listen to me and I'll get you into heaven. There's something about a really good lie that can pull us away from the light of God. <laughs> right? We've just gotten a little smarter on some lies. We're just getting hit with new lies now. <laughs> okay? And so as we look at this letter, I want us to explore three things from this section that we read today. And, and the big idea that I want to give you today is this, to help us on this journey of becoming like Jesus. So the big idea is this. Right? Becoming like Jesus is a journey of confessing, obeying, and loving. Becoming like Jesus is a journey, and it's not a week-long journey. It's not a six-month journey. It's a lifelong journey of confessing, of obeying, and of loving. And so let me look at three key things from the text here to help us grow in this so that we can look a little bit more like Jesus in our lives. Okay. The first is confessing, confessing, right? In verse um, eight of chapter one, John writes, this says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Again, John is writing into a culture that wants to say, I don't need Jesus. Because I'm not a sinner. I'm amazing. In fact, there's like no one better than me. I'm smart. I'm educated. I'm a good man. I'm a good woman. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. I don't have any sin. That sounds like a culture you might be familiar with. You see, because when you take away the idea that actually, yeah, there is something in my heart and in my mind and in my flesh called sin. <laughs> see, without sin, you don't need a savior. <laughs> and John, 2000 years ago, is dealing with people who are saying, I don't have any sin. And John, in his loving pastor voice, says, you're a liar. I've never really called that to somebody in my office just to look and say, you're a liar, you know, but that's not my style. But it's what we see John doing here. You deceive, and, he, and he's not, it's not this accusation of liar. It's you are deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in us. And, the, and he continues, says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives us our sins. But then here's the beauty of this confession. It says, then he purifies us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim that we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. We're saying not only are we lying, are we deceived, but God's a liar because God is saying we have sin, right? Confession is a big, big deal in the life of the early church and should be a really, really big deal in our lives as followers of Jesus, right? I looked up in one of my commentaries, a definition for the word confession, and this is kind of the technical definition for it says, confession of sin opens a person to the work of God within them. It relinquishing the power of sin over their life through the power of Jesus. We call it this way in my family. We call it keeping our list short. Because we know that if there is something going on in here, or if we're thinking about certain things that aren't good here, We've just come to know in 52 years and almost 25 years of marriage that it's just going to get worse. It never – see, my default, maybe this is a guy thing, but my default is to just push it down and ignore it. Any other guys do that? That's your default for like stuff? They just push that feeling down. Just push it down, push it down, push it down. And then I wonder why I had so many gut issues for so long. You keep pushing down all your junk into your gut. Well, then all the, the junk eventually has got to get dealt with. Okay? See, confession relinquishes the power of sin over our lives through the power of Jesus. We are confessing our sin in Jesus' name. Right? Right? See, John is talking to those who want to claim that they have no sin at all, that they are righteous, that they have a a special revelation from God. They have a special revelation that humanity is like God, that humans can create the perfect world in our own strength, (laughs) right? Which again is a message of our culture right now, that we have no sin, that there is no moral truth, that everything is subjective. Human reason and science can solve everything. Human beings are capable of being good, ethical, and moral without Jesus. And we all know from personal experience, and we know it from seeing on the, on the news, if science and human ethics could save us, why hasn't it? Why hasn't it? It's because of sin that even the best leader who looks like can do the greatest thing still has sin and is still going to fall to some kind of corruption and temptation or whatever somewhere, right? So we got to know this, that confession opens a person up to the work of the Holy Spirit, leading to the removal of sinful behavior and desires. You see, when I grew up, the idea of confession— I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I grew up in a, in a tradition, and if you've seen the movies about and you see people confess, you know you go into the, this dark closet and, and there's like this old person, old man in, in one of the other closets, and, and you have to like just tell this stranger everything that you've done wrong that week. And I used to go to a school where we had to do that every week, and I went in one week, and I'm young, I'm like 10, eleven. I'm in this dark closet with this stranger, and he's like, tell me your sin. And so I started saying, well, you know, I did this, and I did this. And he looked at me and said, okay, and what else? No, that, that's, those, that's about it. That's what, those, 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 that's what I did. And he goes, no, you're lying. What else do you do? I'm like, huh. so then I started to make stuff up. Oh, I looked at my dad's Playboys. I punched my sister in the nose. I stole from the neighbor. I kicked the neighbor's dog. I made myself to be like this horrible little kid. And it was like, what else? What else? I'm li- like, there's got to be like a special punishment for the person who lies about their sin in confession. Right? But that's the guilt and that's the shame and that's the condemnation. That's not what John says. When you confess it. You're set free. We're going to see later on in this letter, and we see in other parts of the Bible, when darkness comes into the light, there can be no darkness. See, when Jesus said he came to set the captives free, we are our own captive. And we lie, and we manipulate, and we we deal with all of these things that we're dealing with. And when we say that confession is good for the soul, this comes from John here, that we confess our sin, confess our need for a savior. Then God, through his spirit, begins to bring righteousness into our lives. So that's the first thing that we get from First John is the huge importance of confession in our lives. The second point that we see from here is obeying. That's another one that we love to say. As people nowadays obey, right? Luke chapter, so not Luke. First John chapter two, right? In verse verse one, he says this: "My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin." Right? He, he, he's saying, here are the things, here's the ways God wants you to live. Here are the ways, the things that God doesn't want you to do as one of his children. And, and I don't want you to sin. So this is why I have to write it out. This is why I've got to spell it out for you. Because there's this call to obey. I and mean, that's why, like, when we do baptism and we, and we talk about Jesus' great commission, when Jesus sends the church out, It says to teach them everything I have commanded, to obey, right? And this is where in the text here that we read, where it says, whoever says I know him, but I don't do what he commands, there's a lie that we're believing. And the truth is not in that person, And this can be tough. So different Christian traditions have a tough time with this. And where we have a tough time with this in our tradition is this sounds like behavior. If I would just behave properly, then God will love me. And we actually believe we don't believe that's true. We believe God loves you. And that the forgiveness of sin is available for anybody, regardless of your behavior. But you need to turn from that sin and turn to the kingdom of light. Confess. And then when you confess that, you are brought into the kingdom of life, uh, light. But then there's a journey that God does in our lives. right? So many Christian backgrounds and other faith backgrounds are all about behave this way. To be accepted by God. If you behave this way, then you will be accepted. The message of Jesus is the exact opposite. You are accepted by God. Do you want it? <laughs> and some of us say, nope. I like the darkness. <laughs> and some of us say, yep, I like a part of it. But I got a whole other, other parts that I would just like to keep to myself. <laughs> Like I'd like to keep my sexuality to myself. I'd like to keep my money to myself. I'd like to keep my hobbies to myself. I'd like to keep what TV shows I watch to myself. But I'll do this part. I'll do Sunday. I'll sing some songs. I'll volunteer once every six months. I'll do this part. But I don't want to do any of this part. You see, becoming like Jesus is a lifelong journey of confessing, and obeying it's confessing and obeying this is where like it's, it's my heart kind of like John's heart here breaks when I see people who say I love the Lord and yet I watch them choose something that I know is going to take them far from God you see it coming a mile away. You know it, but they just don't want to obey. And I'm not saying obey to me. It's the last thing I want is power tripping and telling everybody how to live their life. That's why I want you to read this for yourself and let God speak to you on how God wants you to live your life. Right? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. John is not just interested in us being saved from our sin. He's very interested in that. But he's more interested in seeing our joy, their joy being made complete as we actually live like Jesus. We're not always going to get it right. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. Not like that earlier, Paul. I hope you're okay. You're okay, right? Awesome. Thank you. You know, we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to lovingly continue to follow God together. And that's the final point is that this journey of becoming like Jesus, it's confessing, it's obeying and it's loving. See, and those three things have to go together. Like you can't confess the struggles in your life to somebody who you feel, who hates you. You can't, I wouldn't, (laughs) I wouldn't, if I had someone come in here and out of the blue and start blasting me and tearing me apart and calling me names and all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm not telling you squat about me and my life and my struggles. See, and why would I obey someone who I don't know, who I don't like, (laughs) right? This confessing and this obeying has to go together with loving. Like here in verse 9, I love how it, it's, it settles this for us, right? It says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. This, our relationships with one another here is very, very, very important. Right, right from the very beginning, when God was giving his law to Moses, right, God's desire for his people, that they would be known for their love. That's why we have the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Confessing and obeying has to be interwoven with loving, right? And this is why John actually says this in the writing. He goes, "This commandment that I'm giving to you to love is not new. It's been there. It's not like, wow, this this radical revelation on supposed to love people. Holy smokes, I never knew that. It's not new. We just don't like doing it because it's hard." You see, when we notice that there's darkness showing up in our hearts about certain people, how do we respond to this? See, I'm I'm prepping this message this week, and I'm not sharing this story. I am not a hero at all. I'm a guy who's struggling with something. (laughs) And I was struggling with how I viewed a certain pastor down the road. I don't like the guy. And and I've got reasons why. (laughs) And I noticed this was getting darker and darker and darker. And on Wednesday, I'm going to take him out for a coffee. I'm going to ask him to forgive me. And it's hard and it's embarrassing. (laughs) But that's the call. (laughs) We're meant to be loving one another. We don't have to agree with each other. He doesn't have to accept my apology. I just need to apologize. <laughs> we don't have to become like besties, <laughs> but I got to make sure that we have nothing between us. <laughs> right, we are called to love one another. Right, and he's specifically writing to church people here. Right, hanging on to hate is so dangerous. Hanging on to jealousy, hanging on to bitterness, especially towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. Hanging on to jealousy, hatred, bitterness toward other denominations, to other Christian practices, pastors, elders, community group leaders, volunteers, someone you just don't like. See, John warns us, But that's not living like Jesus. Because how did Jesus live when it comes to loving? Oh, Jesus loved his enemy. Oh, Jesus, while dying on the cross, while he's being mocked, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the life. That's the call. And you can't live that way by your own strength. I can't. It's got to be God's power in you. This righteousness that John talks about here in this letter starts with this confessing. Again, our hearts are in a war. Our hearts are in a war. There's a part of my heart that would just love to go to join that side of the war where I can like speak nasty to people and I can be justified for treating them nasty and all of those things. But I have to remember my heart's not mine anymore. Because my heart already went to Jesus. When I was in my late 20s, I was reading my Bible to disprove the existence of God. And instead of disproving him, God showed up. And I gave my life to him. And I said I would do anything, go anywhere, (laughs) say anything that you want me to say. I wasn't expecting this. But it's how God works when we submit to what God wants to do in our lives. You see, God wants you to look like Jesus. God wants your family to look like Jesus. See, because God wants to use you to bring Jesus to your family, to your community, to your workplace, to your school, to everywhere that you go. And as we'll see, as we continue through this letter of becoming like Jesus from 1 John, we'll actually see the joy in that. It's not a burden, it doesn't suck, but there's great blessing and power and hope in that but it starts real simply by confessing and obeying and loving. And maybe there's some of you here today or some of you who are watching at Greenbelt online and you've never made that decision to confess of your sin. Like, the, like John says here, like maybe you think you're without sin and, and I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to judge you at all. I can just speak from my own experience when everybody thought I was a really, really nice guy I knew what was really in my heart. Kevin wasn't a nice guy. Kevin was prideful and greedy and lustful and arrogant. That's who Kevin was. And then when I was reading a Bible, again, in my arrogance and pride to disprove the existence of God, I felt God show up through his word. And I was reading in the book of Ephesians that it's by faith that you are saved from your sin. It's not from works because if it was your behavior that saves you from your sin, we could all brag to one another. And then on that train, I said, father, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. That's what John's talking about. And if you've never done that right where you are, you can say, father, forgive me a sinner because you know what's in your heart and God knows what's in your heart. And you're given an option, a choice, a free gift to receive the righteousness of God by simply confessing. And if you do that today, please let me know. Come tell me in the cafe afterwards. If you did it at church online, please just put it in the chat and let us know. But then for the rest of us, whether we did that today or whether we've done it decades ago, my hope and my desire for us as we step into this summer is that we'll take, the call of becoming like Jesus, more and more serious. <laughs> okay, God, where do I need to practice confession a little bit more? <laughs> where do I need to open up my heart to the light to get rid of the darkness? <laughs> Who do I need to confess something to? <laughs> right? And then God, what do I need to obey? <laughs> what have you been asking me to do? And I've just been ignoring it and ignoring it and ignoring it. <laughs> Maybe for some of you, it was like, man, I've been dodging baptism for decades. <laughs> Maybe it's time to be obedient to what Jesus says. He says, do it. We should do it. <laughs> Maybe it's to be more loving, but I don't want to. Maybe it's to be more generous, but I don't want to. Whatever it is, <laughs> ask God, God, where do you want me to be obeying more? And then finally, where, where do I need to love more? Where do I need to let go of my hate <laughs> And replace it with the love of God. Because when you remember that in this spiritual war that you are the prize. You are the prize. That is God's love for you. Well, guess what? The person sitting around you, they're the prize too. (laughs) Your neighbors that you don't like, they're the prize too. The communities that you don't like or the movements that you don't like, they're the prize too. So we got to grow to become more loving. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you for the reminders that this simple little text has given me this week. Lord, I pray on my own journey that you would help me to confess more, to obey more, and to love more. And Father God, I pray for all of us. All of us here at Greenbelt Church, everyone who can hear my voice today, Lord, I ask for each of us that we would become more like Jesus starting today, that we would leave here today not beaten up, not discouraged, but we would leave encouraged because of God's amazing love. God, help us to confess where we need to confess, help us to obey where we need to obey, and God, help us to love where we need to love. And may your righteousness shine through your church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.